0: Hello and welcome to the Power and the Key podcast, I'm your host Neil Winterton and joining me on the line as he does every week, it's Ben Cad. how are you Caddy? Going well Winnow, I've even got
1: a big bag of ice here sitting next to me that you can dip your leg into <laughs> after starting what I can't believe is what a 20th, or at least a 20th year of senior football for you, so that's just incredible sense that you're still strutting around at, uh, at this age mate and it's a real credit to you, so had the body pull up.
0: Fair to say I'm pretty sore mate, after uh, 19 months or whatever it was of not playing senior footy and Trying to play at 38. It's probably not a great idea, but it was good to get the win. And a couple of teams that are getting plenty of wins on the board at the moment are the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns. So we spoke a couple of weeks ago about our championship tiers, and neither myself or you had uh, Phoenix or Utah in that first tier. I think you may have had both of these in your second tier from memory. Um, I had both of them in my third tier. But as I said, they've got on, on certainly both of them a bit of a lengthy run lately. So Utah are still first in the West at 40 and 13, second with the offensive rating, fourth in defense with a uh, plus 9.8 in net rating. And the Phoenix Suns are second in the West with a 37 and 15 record, sixth in offensive rating, fifth in defensive rating, and third in net rating. And actually over the last two months, they're actually, they lead the league in net rating, So both of them are on a really uh, good run here. They're both 11-2 over their last 13 games. Do you think, Caddy, it's time that maybe we started to take both of these teams or maybe even one of them? We'll start with Utah. Do you think we need to take Utah a little bit more seriously than we have? Look, I think
1: so. And look, Utah is probably the one I've been more bullish on all the way through. I think I've commented a number of times. I like the way they've sort of built this roster out, getting Bogdanovich back, who didn't play in the playoffs in the bubble last year obviously having a, a full season to to integrate with Mike Connolly. I think they were just, you know, able to hit the ground running really well this year um, compared to a, a few of the other teams that obviously had some um, bigger changes to their rosters. So they came out of the box really well. They've been able to sustain that all the way through the season. And look, I think they're real, still really well positioned um, to make a, a serious charge in the playoffs. You know, we we understand that the West is loaded and, you know, we're we're still... I'm sure waiting for a, a run from the Clippers, the Lakers and the Nuggets later on in the in the season but for now the Utah Jazz have really solidified that top uh, that spot atop the west. Um Phoenix have, have you know had a really brave challenge the last month or so and have crept up as well but you know Utah are really positioning themselves beautifully. Um I mean they We'll speak about, it, I'm sure, in a minute. But they did play the Phoenix Suns a couple of games ago, and it was a really fierce contest that went went into overtime, and it and it had a had a real feel about a playoff game to it. So I think for a lot of people, it's a nationally televised game over in the states, and and obviously on the main channels over here the other day, and it, it gave a really good insight into two of these sides that have been, I suppose, under the radar a little bit more um, over the past season or so. But it, it gave us a really good look to see. You know, Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker in particular playing on the big stage going head to head and then Rudy Gobert and Chris Paul sort of playing those supporting roles. So look, I'm confident in Utah. I, I think they're you know, they're built to sustain pretty much anything that's thrown thrown at them through the playoffs. And um, you know, the biggest thing that they still have, and albeit, you know, we're we're not gonna have full capacity crowds, but they are twenty four and two at home. This year, and they, if they do finish in that one seed, which you know we'd almost expect them to do now, it's going to be you know really hard to go into Utah and take take games off them during the playoffs.
0: It certainly will be, and you mentioned their home record there, and they've actually won twenty two in a row at home, so that that's an incredible stat there. Some concerns maybe that that we probably need to talk about, are, and I don't know if this is a concern or not, but they shoot forty nine percent of their shots from three. Uh, they actually, they shoot it at a really good clip, obviously, at 39%, but there's probably got to be a little bit of a question mark there. We saw, you know, years ago when the Houston Rockets were shooting a lot of threes and there was huge question marks about whether that could stand up and we did see it come to fruition in a couple of games where they just went absolutely ice cold from three, which ended up costing them uh, dearly in, in some playoff games. So, Katie, have you got any concerns about the fact that they are such a heavily reliant upon that that three-point shot?
1: Look, it probably cost them the game in the end against Phoenix a couple of games back. They only shot 25% from three in that particular game. They went 11 from 44. And you had guys like Bogdanovich going one for eight. Conley went one for seven. Um, And even Joe Ingles only had the two shots from out there and only hit the one. So, you, you know, to think Bogdanovich, Conley have gone two for 15 from outside the arc. They were really living and dying. By that shot, and, and Phoenix in the end were almost offering some of those shots up to them late. They failed to close out a few times, and they were almost willing uh, or daring Bogdanovich to keep shooting, and, and and that he did. He had, he had to because they was wide open a couple of times, but he just wasn't getting them to fall on this particular game, um, and Conley as well. But, you know, look, I think, you know, you're, you're going to have to go ice cold game in game out really to, to have it in effect. If it does cost you the one game, well, well so be it. But I think, you know, that's how they're built. They obviously have Gobert on in the inside sort of uh, patrolling the paint and then sort of allowing, you know, the, the rest of the team to spread out outside, outside the arc and, and load up from there. So, look, I think the strategy is still okay, but as you said, it, you know, it, it is fraught with a little bit of danger. You'd like to see um, them have a few more options on the offence, but, you know, I, I still think they're not going to shoot 25%, you know, all the time. If they can get that closer to 35% on most given nights, then they're probably going to win most games they play in.
0: They certainly will if they can shoot a reasonable percentage. But I would, I would like to see them have a plan B almost. Houston back in those years that I just mentioned certainly didn't didn't have a plan B. They just kept firing away, firing away. So I'd like to see them be able to go something to go to something else. Whether that's Donovan Mitchell in a pick and roll and even get to maybe a mid range or maybe attack a little bit more and and draw some fouls or something. Because you certainly, yeah, if the shots are falling, it's great. But if, but if they're not falling, I think they need to be able to go to something else. Another concern for me, maybe maybe it's only a little one, but Jordan Clarkson, we spoke about him earlier in the season and he was basically a lock at that stage for, for the sixth man in the year. But he, he's dropped off. Over the last month, he's only shooting 36% from the field and his points are down um, a couple of points a game. Do you see that as a concern as well? If Clarkson can't get his game going, he was really... I guess, influentially uh, in, in their start early in the year. Now they have been able to continue to play good basketball without him uh, hitting the scoreboard as frequently as he was. But do you think for them to be able to make a deep playoff run, they they need Clarkson to get back to his best?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like he's so integral to that offensive punch off, off the bench. He also, He's able to sort of bail out Donovan Mitchell, particularly down the stretch of games if Mitchell isn't quite feeling it. So he's really crucial in that particular role. And as you mentioned, the three-point shooting in particular has cooled off a little bit just recently. So he really needs to find his range from there again uh, because yeah, he's absolutely crucial to to what they do and, and how they can sort of spread the offensive load. Throughout the other guy, like, and we, we've pumped him up a number of times in this show uh, throughout the year. The guy that sort of I was a bit concerned of in that particular Utah Phoenix game was Joe Ingall. So he, he's, he's rebounded back really well the last two games since, but he sort of went into his shell in this game and, and only took the, the four field goal attempts in 27 minutes. And he kind of was in, back into that almost world championship kind of feel where he was giving just going to mention know, that. Yeah. Yeah, giving up open looks when really, again, you know, you, you're there to the minute you get an open look you've really got to just knock it down and that's look and to be fair he's come out I think even today and shot 20 points and five three-pointers so it it may have been a one-off but in this particular game when really and and I think you call it nut crunching time when there was a few opportunities for him at the end of regulation to shoot he he didn't and gave up that pass almost looking for the hockey assistant in the end they couldn't play him in overtime actually he, he didn't come out at all so um, he needs to, you know, continue to fire away because it, when he gets it going, he's such an asset. And as I said, he has rebounded well the the past couple of games since then as well. So.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, he certainly has. The the only other concern I have, and it's a small one, and I guess we'll never know if this is the case or not, whether they have, are they? Do they have like another gear they can go to? They've been extremely lucky and and fortunate with injuries and and COVID protocols. They've got Royce O'Neal, Rudy Gobert, and Bogdanovich who've played every game. Mitchell's only missed three, Conley's missed 10, so he's the one that's sort of missed the most games, but that's still, a lot of teams have been really depleted with injuries, a lot of guys have missed, obviously, a lot of games through injury and and these these tracing and stuff like that. Do you think that maybe this record and the best record in the league could be a a bit of a phantom record, given how healthy and how lucky they've been with that sort of stuff?
1: Well, they've certainly been, yeah, one of the, probably the the luckiest team in the league from all that kind of thing, but... Even when you um, look a bit further out for the remainder of the year, when you look at the strength of uh, strength of schedule um, across the league, they actually have the easiest schedule of all 30 teams coming down the stretch. So their last 19 games, out of all 30 teams, they're ranked number 30 in the harvest schedule. So um, they, yeah, they're continuing to luck out a little bit from that point of view. So they've got two games still to come against Minnesota. They've got two games to come. Still against Houston, so four of their last nineteen games are going to be sides that will be barely, you know, putting up a fight. So, in terms of, <coughs> excuse me, in terms of you know finishing out the regular season, in terms of a uh, playoff seeding, I, I find it really hard to see how they're going to drop out of that number one seed. And as long as you know they're, they're taking care of business and continuing to try and develop and and understand, you know, the teams are going to be coming up again, then they're going to be extremely well placed uh, to give it everything they've got in the playoffs and you know the regular season. You know, just said it, it doesn't really matter. You just got to beat who's in front of you, and, and if the fact that they have been quite lucky with injury, well, good luck to them. And you know, uh, it's not going to affect the way they they turn up for the playoffs. I don't think.
0: So we'll move on to Phoenix now. As I mentioned, they're eleven and two. Also in their last thirty games, I mentioned that they've got the best net rating in the last two months. So they they've really really come on. I guess there was obviously uh, some concerns about them early. How good were they going to be with with the, the addition of Chris Paul? Both of us last week, when we were talking about our our top 15 players in the league, had Chris Paul at number 15, despite the fact that his numbers don't jump off the page. But he's actually been really durable. He's played 51 games this year, which is incredible for a guy at his age. You, You thought he had a couple of injuries a few years ago, those hamstring injuries and those soft tissue injuries that you thought, you know, when you get a little bit older and they start to appear, they generally don't go away. So for him to be able to transform that and stop that, apparently he's gone into a I think they said a couple of years ago he lost a bit of weight and went into a plant-based diet, which has seemed to have really helped him. He's actually averaging his most assists and his best field goal percentage and free throw percentage since his Clippers days. So to be able to wind back the clock you know, a couple of years uh, at his age is a real credit to him. What are you seeing from the Phoenix Suns? Have you still got a little bit of a question mark about to, about how seriously they could challenge for the title, or do you think they're sort of right there with the Lakers and maybe Denver as well?
1: Yeah, look, they're the side that you know of those top teams that we we, we've mentioned. They're the ones that have surprised me. I I I thought they'd improve. I knew they'd continue to develop, but yeah, to to be sitting pretty clearly in the second seed in a in a really hard Western Conference has certainly taken me by surprise. And a real credit to them, you know, whether they can continue the run, be a really high level championship threat, I probably still have my doubts. I you know I think they're. Yeah, you know, they'd love to get as as much experience in these playoffs, you know. And, it, and I think for them, really, if they can get through to the second round, even and, and put up a really good fight in you know a six or seven game series against p- perhaps the Clippers, the Lakers, or the Nuggets, then I think that's a that's a win for them uh, for this season. Because DeAndre Ayton's the guy that I look at who's shown some real improvement. Booker's obviously continued his terrific career offensive form you just hope like hell that Chris Paul can stay fit. And um, he has history of, you know, not being able to see out the duration of lengthy playoff runs. Um, so I really hope that they can, you know, almost keep him in Cotton Bowl if they can kind of guarantee themselves, you know, that two or three seed in the West, which, you know, they should be able to do. I'd really like to see him hopefully almost put Chris Paul on ice for a, for a little bit at this back end of the season because they need him up and running. He was absolutely terrific in this match that we spoke about um, against Utah the other night really had that playoff feel about it and down the stretch he was he was really the one along with Booker that continued to hit really important shots in important stages of that game so um, he's an absolute superstar he, he looks strong he looks fit so there's really nothing at this stage to suggest that he is you know not going to be able to see that out but the history is there um, the soft tissue injuries are a concern so providing he can stay fit well I think they're a chance to at least get through to that second round i probably at this stage wouldn't see them progressing past that
0: point. And I think it'd be a bit of a surprise if they did. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. It's probably that lack of playoff experience from a number of their guys. And you mentioned there how important Chris Paul is. You would expect that they probably would maybe give him a few games off. Hopefully, my, from my fantasy team perspective, they don't. But you'd imagine they would if they can sort of lock up that top two spot, you'd think, in the last couple of weeks. They would they would ease him out of the rotation a little bit. When you look at their, their starting five, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Bridges, Crowder and, and Aiton, that's a fantastic starting five. The biggest question mark for me is what they have coming off the bench. Now, some of these guys have been able to produce during the regular season, hence the reason that they are second in the West. But, but if you do have a look down at, you know, Cam Johnson, I've probably got a bit of faith in him that he could produce in the playoffs, but then it, it starts to get a bit murky from there. Dario Saric has been pretty important for them, but he's got a poor playoff record over his career, albeit not a lot of appearances. But to be to be relying on him, I'm not so sure. Cameron Payne's the one for me. Like, he, he's been a bit of a bust as a first-round pick throughout his career. This year, he's had a bit of a bounce-back year. But have you got any faith in him in a playoff setting that Chris Paul's playing close to 32 minutes a game uh, at the moment, you'd think he'd ramp that up a little bit, but given his age, he's probably not going to be able to go more than 36-ish, maybe, so you're going to have to get at least 12 quality minutes out of pain there. Can he do Can he do that? They've picked up Tory Craig from Milwaukee, who who wasn't playing much for them at all, so how much will he be able to give them? Then you're looking at Kaminsky uh, and Etuan Moore and guys like this, so... I thought for me it was a little bit disappointing that Phoenix and Utah didn't do this either. They didn't add anybody at that trade deadline. They they won't get anyone in the buyout market by the looks of it because there wasn't too many other players bought out. Did you think that they needed to add somebody to boost and maybe give them a chance of progressing past that second round, maybe a better backup backup point guard than Cameron Payne? Oh
1: look, I think they would have liked to. But look, you still look at the roster even a bit deeper down than that we're not seeing any minutes out of Langston Galloway at the moment. one Moore is another guy that's not getting on the court. So I'd have more faith in both of those than probably Cameron Payne. You know, when things get really serious. So I'd be interested to see how they sort of move their rotation towards the end of the end of the season. Tory Craig was, I thought, a bit of an underrated pickup when they did get him from Milwaukee. His numbers don't jump off the page from a statistical point of view, but he does shore up the defense um, from the bench unit. Cameron Johnson's a guy that's, you know, the coach there in Phoenix has got a lot of faith in. He's playing big minutes in big games. You know, he's a low-usage player, but he's able to spread the floor when needed and knock down the big shot if required. So, um, look, I'm not overly concerned about the depth. I think the roster that they've got going in is kind of, it is what it is. I I didn't see them being in a position to, to make a big move this year in particular. I think they're still trying to, you know, continue to grow and mature as a team. Jay Crowder's given them so much leadership and versatility. He's playing a very similar role than what he did in Miami last year and, and he's just been a terrific veteran journeyman almost in the NBA and he's given them plenty of action as well. So, look, I think they're, they're as well as places they could ever be hoping for. I, I, I couldn't even imagine internally prior to the season that they would have thought at this stage in 352 games they would have won 37 of them. So, look, I, I'm interested to see how it, all, how it all rolls out towards the end but I think, you know, for, the, for this season, as I mentioned, if they can get through and, and win a playoff series and be really competitive in another one, then I think that's probably their ceiling anyway.
0: You reckon they'd love their time again at the draft table last year, wouldn't you, where they took Jalen Smith with, with the 10th overall pick and Therese Halliburton was still on the table there. You'd, you'd love him to be Chris Paul's backup. But that would certainly ease the concerns that I have about them making a deep playoff run. So... Who knows how Jalen Smith's career is going to turn out, but I reckon that if they could have their time again, as a number of sides would, obviously, uh, Halliburton would have been the selection there. So we'll move on to a couple of teams that are probably going in the other direction at the moment. So we'll talk about the the San Antonio Spurs and uh, the Golden State Warriors. Now, these two teams are locked at 9th and 10th in, in the West at the moment. San Antonio at 24 and 26, and the Warriors at 25 and 28. Out of these two teams, which team do you think has the biggest chance of dropping out of that play tournament? I guess the team that's sort of jumping up and the team that everyone would love to get in at the moment are the Pelicans. Do you see either of these two falling out of that play-in tournament, Caddy?
1: Yeah, I think the one at most risk is the San Antonio Spurs. So they're on a five-game losing streak at the moment, which is you know only a couple of weeks back. They were, they were sitting pretty comfortably in that seventh spot. Um, but now with the five-game streak, they you know, obviously dropped down a nine and only sitting two games clear of the New Orleans Pelicans in that ninth spot. So, look, I think, you know, they, they kind of showed their hands prior to the – after the trade period where they effectively sat LaMarcus La Aldridge and, and, and bought him out and, and sent him over to, to – well, he sent himself over to Brooklyn. So I think at that point it was pretty much an acknowledgement that they continuing to look towards the future and get uh, more time and minutes into their younger core, uh, which is, I, I think, the right strategy. It's not the be-all and end-all for anyone if the San Antonio Spurs don't make the playoffs this year. And, and you know, as you said, they're, they're probably a, a, an even greater outside to actually finish, you know, in a guaranteed playoff spot, even if they were to get into the play-in tournament. You know, who are they going to be beating in a best of seven series if they got through that? So I think Popovich and Buford, who've run that organisation, have been around long enough to kind of understand where things are sitting with this their particular roster and, uh, and then looking out further long-term. They're, they're really investing in... Their younger players, and to John Murray, Derek White, Colden uh, Johnson, Jakob Podal, so they're the guys they're building around. Um, and then you know they've been pretty well supported by Demar Derozan, Paddy Patty Mills, and Rudy Gay. But that's certainly not a, a second round or even a first round playoff team for mine. They don't have a, an out and out star like at least the Golden State Warriors do in Steph Curry. Um, so I'd certainly have more com- more confidence that if Curry stays fit to, uh, throughout the rest of the season then he can he can sort of lead the the Warriors and maintain at least in that ten spot. Well I spoke about the strength uh, the strengths of schedule earlier. Well San Antonio had the second hardest schedule left um on the way on the way in here. So it'd be no surprise to me if they if they fell out and New Orleans um overtook them. San Antonio still have three games left against Phoenix to play. They still have to play Utah twice. So it's going to be really difficult for them, I think, to maintain a spot inside that uh, top ten.
0: Yeah, that, that is a really difficult run home, isn't it? You mentioned they're on a five game losing losing streak. They're also two and ten in their last twelve, so so they're on a big slide. The biggest concern for me is their starting lineup just isn't effective enough. They rely so heavily on their bench unit that they've got a five man uh, lineup, which which is a mixture of reserves and starters of Gay Mills, Dejounte Murray, Jakob Podol and Devon Vassell. That's actually got the second best net rating in the league and Rudy Gay and Patty Mills have the second-best off-on off, numbers in the whole league. So it's really difficult when, when you're relying heavily on your bench. You're basically coming in at a deficit at the end of every first quarter. So it's really difficult, and I think for me that that I agree with you out of these two teams. If I, if I was going to pick one to to drop out of that playing tournament, it would certainly be the San, San Antonio Spurs. You mentioned they don't have an out-and-out out star. DeMar DeRozan, I think you might have even... If you didn't pick him in your all-star team initially, you said he was one of those ones that, that, that should have been right there. And his numbers have been fantastic. But after him, there's a pretty pretty big drop-off. I, I don't, who would you even say is their second best player or second most important player, out behind uh, DeRozan?
1: Well, I think in terms of who they've invested the money into, it's DeJounte Murray. They've obviously signed him up longer term. They have high hopes that he'll continue to develop. He's a really good defensive player. They need more out of him from the offensive end. Um, uh, Johnson's had a terrific second season here as well. So if he can continue uh, to develop on this sort of trajectory, then you know he potentially could turn into a star as well. I think he had a twenty rebound game not that long ago, which was incredible. Derek White's a guy that had some experience with the US team over the last summer, uh, summer before last as well. So he's know, been a bit he, d- disappointing
0: a... this year, hasn't he, Derek White though? Only shooting forty percent from the field. His scoring is up, but you would have you would have thought, and you mentioned there the fact that he did get that team USA experience. I don't know whether the fact that Greg Popovich was the coach might have contributed pretty heavily to that. But they obviously had some pretty big plans for Derek White but hes he has only played the 26 games so he's he, there's been some circumstances there that's meant that he hasn't been out on the court as much as obviously he or the Spurs would have liked maybe stagnate a little bit but you I reckon you would have hoped that Derek White would, would have had a better season
1: yeah and I think there, there could be some concern for them even longer term just around you know the development of Derek White and John Murray you know they're really the backcourt they've kind of put in for the future. San Antonio historically hasn't been a great free agent destination. They never finished low enough to really draft in, in, the, in the high lottery or the low lottery. So, um, you know, they really have been relying on, on smart drafting clever trading and also, you know, they've been famous for the way they've been able to develop their own players. I think they'd be a little bit concerned that Derek White in particular hasn't come on as quickly. Deontay Murray probably has a bigger excuse. He came off the knee injury the previous season. Uh, so there's probably a bit more grace from there. But they really need one of those two guys to, to kind of break out in this next season or so to really put their hand up uh, longer term. Because as we discussed, DeMar DeRozan also going to be out of contract uh, in this off-season. And, you know, I, if I'm the Spurs, I'd be Thinking very carefully about giving him a big number going into you know longer term um, years, so I think they almost got to hit the reset button in a sense if they can and um, try and continue to develop what they've got in the younger players.
0: Now, if they don't re-sign DeRozan, and I agree with you, you, you wouldn't want to overpay DeRozan at 31 years of age, despite the fact that he's he's still playing really good basketball. He's not a great shooter, so how well will he age? So let's let's say in theory DeRozan's not there next year. Where do they go from here? I, you mentioned there that DeJounte Murray and Derek White and, you know, Calden Johnson certainly does look good. But any of those guys above average starters at their position? Maybe you could argue DeJounte Murray is maybe middle of the road. Kelden Johnson certainly has a potential to, to maybe be that, you know, in a year or two. But... You strike DeRozan out. Paddy Mills, I mentioned, he's thirty-two. I think he's out of contract in, at the of end of this year as well. Yeah, yep.
1: absolutely. Is.
0: Yep. Rudy Gay's as well, I believe, and I mentioned those two have the second best on-off ratings in the, in the entire league. So if they lose De Rosen Gay, and Paddy Mills, and and then all of a sudden they're relying a lot on this on this youth, I, don't, I wouldn't be confident. I, I think they're in for a pretty significant rebuild. What, what do you think?
1: Well, I think so. Look, if you're looking at their cap numbers for next year, really, it's only to Murray. And Derek White, who have both had the longer term extensions, taking up pretty much the bulk of their money. They're only on the books for fifty eight million going into next year, which leaves a hell of a lot of money left over in a pretty weak free agent class. If we're going to be honest about it, and again, San Antonio don't have a great history of being able to attract top level free agents to come in. So if they don't, uh, which is which may almost lead them to kind of being forced to spend some of that money on a guy like DeRozan because...
0: It just um, screams overpaying someone that shouldn't get the money, doesn't it? With the cap room they've got and the fact that they're not a free agent destination, you can just see him overpaying somebody that doesn't deserve it, whether it's DeRozan yeah, or somebody
1: else. Well, they're going to have to spend the money. It's just the way, it, the way it all works. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that does unfold. It's a really interesting off-season coming up in San Antonio. They you know, obviously... Once um, Kawhi Leonard left, it was it was a rebuilding in part, but they were kind of able to stay reasonably competitive, you know, with Lamarcus Aldridge and DeRozan into the team, and you know, Dejounte Murray had a pretty strong season a couple of years back. But now with Aldridge gone, DeRozan now a free agent, they've got you know a, a pretty exciting window really to look at and say, well, is it time to take a real step back for the first time in about twenty five years and 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 push the reset button like so many of their counterparts have done over many years? So I. would I, I, probably assumed that would be the track they'd go down they've done it in the past they've uh, selected number one david robinson back in 1988 they took tim duncan obviously number one when they uh not bad when you two
0: when you two number one draft selections of david robinson and tim duncan you see some years where you know cleveland had to select anthony bennett and they've been able to pluck david robinson and and tim duncan to transform their their organization pretty lucky yeah
1: and they've and they probably think, well, you know, if they means they've got to have a really down year next year and they can get lucky again and, and potentially pick another franchise changing player, well, oh, that's that's their recipe to, to rebounding, I think. I, I, it's not going to come by a trade that's not enough assets on this roster or future, um, ex, you know, exciting future picks that they've got on their books. So I think the draft's the way they're going to have to do it, So which is why I don't think pushing for a play in spot if things aren't going that well over these last 22 games is of any real benefit
0: to them. Their best form of attack might be to be a dumping ground for some of these bad contracts in the league, whether it's a John Wall or a Russell Westbrook or something like that, and get some draft capital back off those sides and just just play play next season again to be bad again next season instead of overpaying some free agents for a couple of years. I think maybe that's the best path that they can do going forward. What about the Golden State Warriors? Do you think they've been a little bit disappointing this year? I mean, at 25 and 28, Steph Curry's been outstanding. I think you had him third last, last week when we spoke about the top fifteen players in in the league. There's not much more that he could do to, to lift uh, the the Warriors up. Do you think they've been a little bit disappointing, or do you think this is about where they sit? Given that there's not really a great deal of of depth beyond Steph Curry, is there? When when you look at their their, their roster, Andrew Wiggins, well, he's been about what you get from Andrew Wiggins. Uh, Kelly Oubre certainly was disappointing at the start of the year. He's certainly been a, a lot better since that since the start of the year. Uh, Draymond Green's been really good. Uh, defensively but he's a he's an incredible case isn't he Draymond Green when you look at him he's only 30 years of age but you quickly just glance at his points a game points per game over the last few, few years so back when they won their first title he was at 14 points a game then he dropped to 10 then he dropped to a uh, back up to 11 then down to 7.4 down to 8 and now he's only down at 6.3 points a game it's it's incredible that a guy has dropped so far you know, only in five or six seasons, down from 14 to 6.3, he's only shoot, shooting the ball 5.9 times a game and 25% from three. So, despite the fact that he's outstanding defensively and he and he orchestrates a lot of stuff, him and him and Steph Curry are, are really lethal in the pick and roll. They read each other really well, but he he basically gives them nothing offensively, does he? So, so as I said, there's not a lot of depth beyond Steph Curry. Do you think that this is about where they sit, or do you think they've been a little bit disappointing?
1: I think they'd probably always have higher expectations for themselves than where they're currently sitting, you know, sitting in the 10th seed um, with an under 500 record, uh, no doubt. But I think, you know, the minute Clay Thompson went down, which was about a day before the draft, I think, from memory. So, you know, they're looking at basically having a, a fully fit Clay Thompson, a fully fit Steph Curry, Draymond Green, back with Andrew Wiggins for the first time and then drafting, you know, in that number two slot like they were. There was a lot of excitement as to... Uh, you know, what the ceiling could have been for this Warriors team. But the minute Thompson went down, effectively the whole season was shot to bits anyway. I mean, they tried to scramble with the Ubrey uh, pickup just before the season, but that, you know, as as you mentioned, hasn't trans translated that well. So look, I think they've had plenty of e- excuses as to why they're positioned where they are. I, I think at the moment they'd be looking at it, as, you know they they know they're not going to be a serious um, a serious challenger at any stage in any playoff series, probably unless Steph Curry, Steph Curry just got hot for seven games in a row, uh, which, you know, <laughs> is potentially possible. But, oh, look, I think they're still geared around uh, next year bringing back Clay Thompson, hopefully he can come back in, in some sort of shape, and then, you know, really hoping that that Minnesota pick falls outside the top three and they get a, a really good shot at the lottery again in this year's draft. And as, as we know, if it doesn't convey this year, they'll get it unprotected uh, the following year. So, look, I still think that they're, Still pretty well out for the next couple of years. I mean, their salary cap's absolutely shot to bits um, next season. They've got Curry on the books for 45, Thompson for 37, Wiggins for 31, Draymond Green for 24, Wiseman in for nine. So there's no room to be able to adding anyone from a free agent point of view. They're really going to need Wiseman to develop. Um, hopefully that pick can come in this year and then hope that Clay Thompson's body um, can allow him to do Clay Thompson things going forward. And then, you know, we might be talking about them as a a potential challenger again next year. For this year, you know, as I said, the, it, it all went pear shaped when Thompson went down, and if Steph Curry wasn't doing superhuman things, almost which is averaging thirty points a game in a pretty limited limited team, then you know things could have been a lot worse. So I think again, I don't know that they'll be overly disappointed. You know, if they a make the plane or not, I don't think they're going to be of any um, worry to to either Phoenix, Utah, or um,
0: Denver, or the Clippers or Lakers in any playoff series um, going forward. No, uh, you couldn't imagine, unless Steph went absolutely bananas and averaged, even if they averaged forty a game, you'd reckon they're going to struggle to to compete with with any of those teams. So, what do you think that their best course of action is going forward? You mentioned the the contracts they've got on the books there there for next year, so. Clay Thompson, unfortunately, we all love Clay Thompson, but he's played, he hasn't played a game the last two seasons and they've forked out $67 million over the last two seasons for him and he signed on for another three seasons, 30, close to $38 million, $40 million, and then $43 million. So he's probably got one of the worst contracts in the league given that he hasn't played for two seasons Yes, he's a jump shooter. You'd imagine he's going to be able to come back and contribute at, at some sort of level, but nowhere near the level, certainly next year anyway, at, at what the, those, numbers would, uh, those salary figures would suggest a player of, of that calibre should contribute. So what do you think their best course of action is going forward? Steph Curry's 32, I think it is, uh, without looking at, at his profile. So he's probably got two to three years at his absolute best. So are they better off shopping that Minnesota pick uh, before the draft or even after the draft, once they know where it lands. James Wiseman, who started the year prom- promisingly, has been a little bit disappointing. Now, we need to understand he's obviously in, in a bit of a di- different situation than some of these other rookies who are, who have just been thrown in. You know, Anthony Edwards was second, I think, in, in the whole NBA in, in the month of March for shots attempted. So he's just been given as much of the ball as he wants. Wiseman hasn't had that luxury. Golden State are trying to win games in Sort of most of the time. So he's been pulled when he makes mistakes. So he hasn't been able to develop as as much as some of these other rookies have. But it's fair to say he's been disappointing since the start of start of the season. Are they better off trying to shop Wiseman, either get a pick or another player? He's only going to earn nine million next year. So you're probably not going to get a real difference maker for nine million, and and that mini pick as well. Do you reckon they just make that selection and try and sort of work that guy in with Steph, or should they they? Package up Wiseman and that pick even together. Maybe try and get a Bradley Beal to, to bring in um, and really go for it when Steph and Clay and Draymond and these guys are still have some years left in them. What what do you reckon their best course of action is, Caddy?
1: Well, the issue with that, you know, with Wiseman and a pick, you know, you're gonna have trouble matching any salary to come back in. They're already well maybe throw Wiggins
0: it. in as well or or an Oubre.
1: Yeah, look, I, the one I'm interested to know your thoughts on in terms of any trade value as it currently stands, and you, you ran through some of these numbers just before us, Draymond Greek. what would his value be on the open market, if any? I mean, he's under contract, obviously, through this year, then a further two seasons, then a third season as a player option in 23-24 for $27.5 million. So it's a it's a sizable contract you know, for a guy that's scoring six points a game. Do you see that he's got any value as it currently stands um, from a trade point of view?
0: Look, I don't think so. I think he he has to be in a unique situation, and and this Warriors team, when that when when Clay's obviously up and going, are probably that that perfect situation for him. As I said, he's a good distributor. He's averaging eight and a half assists a game, so he sort of runs their offense with Steph. So they take it in turns. He, yeah, he's a linchpin of their defense. He plays that small ball five really well. So you have to find the absolute perfect scenario for for Draymond to be able to work in. Look, he'd be able to contribute certainly to every team, but. Given the number that that he is owed, I, I can't imagine teams are going to be falling over themselves to to trade for Draymond and yeah and give away something of value to, to bring him in because he's just he's just a really unique player. There's probably there's no one else I don't think in in the NBA like him, and he's got to find that exact scenario. And I and I can't really think of one off the top of my head unless you've got one. Do, do you, have you got anyone that you you could see that would really uh, benefit in adding Draymond Green?
1: No, not really. I, I mean, I, I, there was some scuttle, but probably an off-season ago that, that he could be the guy they could try and potentially get off. But, you know, you, you talk about that Minnesota pick. Potentially, that's the, the contract that you could attach to that, basically, uh, to try and get another you know, ready-made contributor in at a reasonable salary. So, I think that more so than Wiggins. I think Wiggins's contract is going to be pretty hard to, to possibly move again um, with any value. So, yeah, I just wonder... The, the amount of minutes Draymond green has on his body and his deterioration as you said from an offensive point of view um and shooting point of view over the last year or so you know even if the warriors you know and thompson comes back fully fit and you know, how much value is, is green going to be able to give them so he's the one that interests me um he's obviously loves being in golden state they love having him there but um you know for this year and three more years on that deal uh that could be quite crippling um the way that, that goes if his um, form continues to diminish as well
0: yeah that certainly is and I'm really interested to see what they do do Golden State in in the offseason whether they do try to move him on I could Washington have to look at Beal at some stage don't they they miss the playoffs again I know Beal's been been the good soldier he said he wants to stay there he wants to play his whole career there but if he leads the league in scoring they miss the playoffs again they they would have to look at a James Wiseman so they, they get a top 2 pick from last year they get this Minnesota pick whether it's this year or the following year and if they have to eat up you know a salary and Andrew Wiggins or something like that you'd reckon Washington would be willing to do that hit the reset button and go from there but but I would be really oh, I am interested to see what what happens with the Warriors in the offseason now a couple of other teams that that have been pretty disappointing this year are the Toronto Raptors and the Sacramento Kings so Toronto are twenty one and thirty two, which is eleven in the East. Incredibly, in March they only won one game, so they were one and thirteen in the month of March, and that obviously slid them right down the standings there. And the Sacramento Kings are twenty two and thirty one, which is twelfth in the East. They're on a six game losing streak. After winning five in a run, I think you mentioned a few weeks ago that Aaron Gordon is the biggest dick tease in the NBA. Well, the Sacramento Kings are the biggest dick tease as far as a team goes in the NBA. Every time you get excited about them, they get on a win streak, they then go and go on a, on a bit of a losing streak. So out of those two teams, Caddy, you know, Toronto uh, over their last three seasons have finished second, second and first in the East. They're obviously not playing out of home this year, so that's a, that's a, a reasonable excuse for not going so well. And, and the Kings have obviously been so poor for so long. They actually haven't made the playoffs since 2006, which is the second longest drought in the NBA behind the Charlotte Hornets, who, who are going to break that this year, you'd imagine, unless something goes seriously wrong. So out of those two teams, Caddy, which team for you has been the more disappointing?
1: Oh, I think for me it's Sacramento. I, I mean, you, you've outlined a few of the issues Toronto have had, you know, none more so than being displaced the entire year and having to play their games out of Tampa. I think they've also probably been one of the most affected with COVID health and safety protocols. They've just been decimated um, time and time again this season. They obviously lost Sergio Barker and Marcus Sewell in the off season as much as you know. <clears throat> a few people lauded the, the signing of Aaron Baines. He really hasn't sort of been the answer for them in the middle, uh, Chris. Shares sort of been having to take the bulk of the minutes lately as Baines has been buried on the bench for the most part. That said, they there is a, a Twitter account which, I, if you haven't seen, it's one of the one of my favourite Twitter accounts. It's the unofficial Aaron Baines uh, Twitter account, and um, it just gives <laughs> great back <laughs> insight and commentary to every single Toronto game and Aaron Baines's uh, movements in, in particular, whether he's um, waving a towel or setting a screen or a, he's hockey a cult assistant. hero at Baines, isn't he? They document all that, so it's actually worth a look if you haven't had a look at that. But yeah, I think for me, um, Sacramento, because you know this is the team that they've kind of built, you know, through the draft um, and through trade. You know, they obviously built around De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Hield. Uh, they drafted. Marvin Bagley a couple of years back and, you know, had an opportunity at that time to draft Luka Doncic. So, you know, that, that's going to be the one that they're, that they're forever going to be it's looking for. It's a fair goes.
0: sliding doors moment, isn't it? You know, you've got Luka or you've got uh, Marvin Bagley, who obviously haven't produced at, at all pretty much in his, no. in his career.
1: And it's not going to – you just can't see a world in, in where that trade uh, – sorry, that draft choice is ever going to look uh, defendable. So that that's a disaster. I think they recovered pretty well, as you mentioned. In last year's draft, with Tyrese Halliburton, he's been he's shown some real good flashes as a guy that um, can be trusted down the stretch of games and has a has a number of as skills to his bow. Harrison Barnes is serviceable. They've had a pretty good season out of Rashawn Holmes, but you know this is really their team they've built, and to continue to miss the playoffs year after year, as you mentioned, they go on a little bit of a run they did at the start of the year. They won five in a row at one point all right, here they come finally, and then they lost about the next 10 or 11 games. So, yeah, just incredible that they're now in the middle of another six-game losing streak. And all they've got to do is really string one or two together and they'd be back up almost into a into the 10th spot as a play-in. And I'm sure the uh, management and owners of Sacramento are, are kind of gunning. Um, for that, we mentioned it at the end of the trade period podcast, where we were probably surprised they didn't make a move with Harrison Barnes in particular. But we kind of defended it by saying, you know, they are still within touching distance of that play-in, and it's for them an organization that hasn't been a part of playoff basketball for so long. It's a big enough carrot to kind of chase. So, and they actually they turn. actually
0: added DeLon Wright as well to to help in this playoff push. So there's no doubt that they're going, you know, full guns for for this play-in tournament.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and you know. To continue to yeah to get, get on these losing streaks is really disappointing. As I said, I think Toronto have had certainly more excuses. You know, Lowry's been out again for a period here. Uh, Pascal Siakam just can't get a, a, a clean run at the Saints for Van Vleet. So, you know, they're their three probably most important players who have all the way through the year have, have missed numbers of number and number of games. So, I think Chris Boucher at 53 games and then Aaron Baines at 50 are their two. Um, most cap players for the year and we've um, said how disappointing
0: their centre rotation has been all season and their two centres have been the ones that have played their most games
1: yeah so look it, it has certainly been an issue from that point of view so I'd I give Toronto a bit of a pass mark they've been you know really overachieved probably the last four or five seasons and have done a pretty good job of it I'm probably just a bit more concerned about them longer term as uh, of how they sort of fill out um, after this season you know I think Siakam in particular is kind of uh continued to improve year on year, which is a bit of a concern considering you know the the type of player he looked like he was going to be a year or two back. So he really needs to turn his form around. Uh, Van Vliet obviously got ended up getting a, paid a significant contract as well and he hasn't had the season he would have liked either. So they're the two guys that really need to um, improve along with OG Ananobi, who's the other guy they've locked long-term money into. So, yeah, how they respond, I'm not too worried about this year. It's more what happens really in the off-season. Um, and then heading into next year, does Lowry stay? Does he leave? Um, and do those three young players I mentioned continue to improve, or have they kind of leveled out and plateaued at this point? And if that's the case, then it's, it could be a bit of a concern longer term for Toronto.
0: Yeah, you'd imagine that uh, Lowry. Yeah, who knows what he's going to do? It was strange in the end that he wasn't moved on. Moved on before the uh, the trade deadline. They're obviously going to have to now build around Van Vliet, Siakam, and Ananobi. They've also got Gary They got Gary training, and we'll talk about some of these trade deadline acquisitions and how they've gone in next week's podcast but he had a career high yesterday so he's been a nice addition to him Boucher started to come on in that center position so they've got some intriguing pieces but yeah whether they've got that guy that sort of number one guy who's going to be good enough to carry them in a deep playoff game I'm not so sure about that but back to the Sacramento Kings Luke Walton has to be in the hot seat doesn't he I mean you sort of look at their starting five or, or a five they can throw out there with, with Fox, Halliburton, Heald, Barnes and Rashawn Holmes. Look, that, that's a reasonable five for me. And, and Darren Fox has been really good, particularly over the last month. He's averaged 28 points a game and 6.1 assists, shooting 49% from the field. So he's really elevated himself, I think, into the top echelon of the point guards. And that's a reasonable cast to throw around him. Now, you can bring guys off the bench. Now, we've spoken about Bagley, how, how disappointing he's been since... Since he was drafted, he has missed the last fourteen games. He's 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 missed a lot of games over his short career so far. Well, they've started him every game he's played so far. I think he's going to be better to come off the bench. You know they've got Mo Harkless, DeLon Wright, Terrence Davis, who they also got in a trade during the trade period, and Assam Whiteside, who is more a guy who puts up numbers and doesn't really help winning. But he, you know, if you're bringing him him off the bench for twelve to fourteen minutes a night, he's he's a decent enough backup uh, center. So they've got sort of a, a 10 man rotation that you look at and you go well that that should be good enough to be pretty competitive and certainly you know not with a record at 22 and 31. So for me Luke Walton has to be under serious pressure doesn't he and and that, that I think they have to bring in a new coach whether it, you wouldn't imagine they're probably going to do it now uh, before the end of the season but in the off season I'd be staggered if if Walton doesn't get shown the door and they bring someone in. What do you think about Walton's future going forward?
1: Yeah, look I think he's probably a dead man walking to be honest unless the only way he could survive would be if they get into the playing tournament, somehow, you know, win through there and, and get into an actual playoff series. That'd be his, his only chance I think of being able to, uh, to 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 stay in there. And look, there could be a chance of that happening. Just say they did get into a, a ten seed and somehow Memphis got up to the seven, they you know, they'd almost back themselves in a seven game series potentially against a team like Memphis. So, um, you know, that's that's probably the upside of it all of, of where they're thinking. But you know Walton probably can't survive again. So this will be his second season in Sacramento. He had the three seasons as the head coach of the LA Lakers prior to that. We know what he did at Golden State as the assistant coach, and then when Steve Kerr was uh, had back surgery, he took them to a thirty-nine and four record as an interim head coach. So I think we need to wipe that record. And really, the five full seasons, well, including this the, the fifth season he's had, he's only got a forty percent win ratio um, in three hundred and seventy-one games. So that's one fifty-one wins and 220 losses and it's probably not good enough you know we've seen other coaches with winning records get get the chop pretty quickly so i I can't imagine as you said with a with a, a roster that we think should be more competitive than it is how we can survive and Particularly when there was already you know, rumblings in the off season that of Buddy Hyde. Uh, Buddy Hill wouldn't even take his phone calls, you know, prior to training camp. But that doesn't. Staggering, phone isn't after it? How, Walton,
0: how yeah. that happens in the NBA, like guys just not taking phone calls from their head coach. I I can't I can't comprehend that sort of stuff. What, what what does that even achieve? Not taking his phone call. I mean, anyway. But yeah, you you said there. If if they do get through that play on top, they're going to have to get their way through either. Dallas or Memphis, or we'll, we'll, yeah, they have to get through at least Dallas in the seventh seed at the moment. If Dallas jump up, it's going to be either Portland or the Lakers fall all the way down. So I'd it would be absolutely staggering if they, if they did make it through that playing tournament. But, yeah, so yeah, I think he's definitely a dead man walking. And, and Toronto, I agree, they're certainly mitigating circumstances for the season they've had not playing at home. They've been top five in attendance at home over the last seven or eight years. They've got a really strong home court advantage and to not have that, and you mentioned all the injuries they, they've had. So they've certainly got a good excuse despite, despite the fact that their poor poor record is disappointing in and of, it, of itself. So we saw yesterday, Caddy, a couple of massive games from some uh, two of the best scorers we've got in the league. Jason Tatum put up 53 points, 35 of those coming in the second half uh, yesterday in an overtime win against Minnesota. He was 16 of 25 from the field, and then Zach Levine also had a 50-point game, 39 of those came in the first half, and Twitter was was going crazy at at those 39 points he had in the first half, he ended up 18 from 31 from the field, but that was in a loss to Atlanta, out of those two games obviously, which one did you think was more impressive, was it just Tatum purely for the fact that it came in the win, or have you been impressed by Levine as well?
1: I was impressed with Tatums because he's in my fantasy team. It's the first time you know we spoke about <laughs> when I when I spoke about his being a first round draft selection in fantasy that he just hasn't been able to put these really big scoring games together. He's on, been on a bit of a, a strong run the last ten or twelve games where you know his scoring numbers have been consistently in that sort of high twenties, low thirties. But this is the first time I can remember he's really broken out and. And you know, gone on a, a really strong scoring run like this, as you said, albeit in an overtime game and albeit against probably one of the worst defenses in NBA history, the Minnesota Timberwolves. So you'd probably put an slight asterisk on it for, for both of those two reasons, but to still be able to get to the 53 points is a is a big effort. He was 15 from 16 from the line, which is which is excellent, and shot the six three pointers as well. So really good performance. You know, Zach Levine, as you mentioned, you know, went crazy in that first half and You know, when when someone does put up 50, you'd really expect the the team to to have a win. But, you know, Trey Young at the other end went for 42 as well. So the Bulls just weren't capable of stopping Atlanta at the other end. So I think, you know, I I wonder whether that 50 points for Levine is a bit of an indication of the lack of offensive scoring the Bulls have got around. If you look at the starting five in that particular game, which was Thaddeus Young, Patrick Williams, Vucevic, uh, Sandoransky and Levine, other than Vucevic, who went for 25, Sandoransky. He didn't score. Uh, Young had four points and Williams had four points. So um, it was really up to Levine, Laurie Markins coming off the bench and not really playing bulk minutes at the moment. And the same with Kobe White. So Levine really had to do the bulk of the work in this one. But, yeah, to put up 50 is a a huge performance. I think Levine, you know, I was pretty critical of him at the start of the year when we were going through our all-star selections, just that he still hasn't been able to prove himself as a high-scoring player in, in a winning environment. Um, I think it's probably fair to say those doubts are still around. You know, they've transitioned pretty slowly with the Vukovic trade. I think they lost their first four or five games when he came in. They got on a bit of a run. I think they won two or three in a row and then uh, lost to Atlanta, obviously, yesterday. So they're still trying to work through how all this looks. I think the trade's still okay and and Levine and Vukovic will work fine together. But, you know, Levine's had a terrific season. He has shown really strong improvement all the way through. But, you know, hopefully – you know, I don't think it'll be this year for the Bulls, but you know, if you can get some improvement like Devin Book has done in Phoenix and the Bulls can put some more veteran leadership around Levine, then hopefully he can you know show that he can be a top scorer in the league and be in a winning team, hopefully. Uh, the interesting start I did see over the weekend, not that I'm a baseball fan, but it was the first time in, in history on the same day um, someone had pitched a no-hitter in baseball and had 50 points in an NBA game. So not only one person did that, but it was obviously the two um, with Levine and Tatum, so that was a, a quite an interesting stat for all you baseball aficionados out there.
0: And I'm sure there's plenty of them listening to this, Caddy. <laughs> uh, just on uh, Jason Tatum, he's had a bit of an, oh, I guess, interesting sort of start to his career, hasn't he? He had that first season where he had that really impressive run in the playoffs, and then everybody thought he was going to take a, a huge step up that second year. He spent a lot of time with Kobe Bryant in his first offseason, and he probably adopted that that Kobe Bryant style of, of shooting way too much. He was taking a lot of t- tough one-on-one fadeaways and it, it, he didn't take that big jump. He took a slight jump but not that that big, big jump that everyone was expecting a quality player to, to, to take. And then last season he, took, he, he probably took that jump they were expecting from his second season. And then this season we were hoping for a, a bigger jump and that probably hasn't happened again. So it, it's been a really interesting progression year-to-year year for Jason Tatum. At the moment, he he was a, he ended up being a starter in the All-Star this year because there was an injury to Joel Embiid, I think it was, who who ended up taking his place. And there was talk early on in the season that maybe he could sort of work his way into MVP discussion. Now, that certainly hasn't happened. Where do you think, I guess, ultimately you, you see Tatum finishing off, off as a player? So he's at the 25.7 points a game at the moment, seven rebounds, 4.3 assists. Uh, 1.3 steals, he's only shooting the 45% from the field. So if you look at his field goal percentage for the last three years, it's 45, 45, 45. So he's pretty consistent there. You'd obviously like to get that up. The, the way the efficiency, the way the the wing players score now, they're certainly uh, being a lot more efficient than that. Do you think he's ever going to sort of reach the, the heights, I guess, that everybody had hoped for after his first playoff run? And even his playoff run last year, he'd had some pretty big moments. Do you see him ever getting into the top you know, 10 maybe discussion player at any stage during his career?
1: Yeah, look, I think so. I think, you know, this year you've got to remember the guy contracted uh, COVID-19 at the start of the season and not that I, I contracted it or anyone I know did, but I can only imagine that it was a pretty debilitating illness to to get as a professional athlete at the start of the season to then have to build your way back up while playing games at the same time. I, I could only imagine it would be a pretty difficult thing to do. So I think we obviously saw, you know, when he first came back, it did take him a while to – to get going again, and you know, he was pretty inconsistent with his performances. But I think what you've seen over you know, probably the last 10 to 15 games, really, he you know, he has been performing at a much, much higher and much more consistent level. So, you know, I'm just looking at it now, probably over the last oh, at least nine games, he scored at least 20 points in those. You know, I think he's got the capabilities to be a third, you know, just about a 30 point. Per game scorer, I think he's a more of a pure scorer than even a Jalen Brown. Is obviously the comparisons between those two guys are going to be uh, continuing all the way through um, as well. So I still have confidence. You, you mentioned the shooting numbers; forty five percent is not great. Look, he does shoot thirty eight percent from three uh, from three point land, which isn't isn't too bad. He's an eighty seven percent free throw shooter. So I think it's got all the all the mechanics there to to push that scoring average closer to the thirty mark. And I think that's probably where his upside or ceiling should be um and if he does that then he, he will sort of push him push his way into um you know that top 10 player com, uh, conversation you know the Celtics in themselves you know they're still struggling along at just sitting above 500 with a 27 26 record in the 7th seed in the east albeit they're only one game behind Charlotte in the 4th seed so i think you know if, as the season continues on i think they'd be pretty confident they should be up you know should be able to make a push up to that 4th seed potentially in the 5th seed in the east and and hopefully have a you know at least push one of those top sides whether it be Brooklyn um, Milwaukee or Philadelphia in a second round series and try and you know push them deep and I think that's probably again the ceiling for this um this Boston
0: team this season. Yeah I think so. I, I don't think they'll quite reach the levels that they probably would have hoped at the start of the season. They just don't, don't have anyone in the inside and I agree I think Tatum's certainly got all the tools that you'd like from a wing player six foot eight you know he can shoot from the outside he can drive he can he can certainly obviously finish above the rim and, 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 of course, he's obviously a very good defender as well. So he's, he's almost that complete package. And, yeah, you mentioned that that he has uh, contracted COVID. So so he certainly has got a bit of an inbuilt excuse there. But still only in his fourth season, very young, very promising. And I'm sure all the Celtic fans will love having uh, Jason Tatum on their roster for years and years to come. So we'll call it there. As I say every week, thank you very much to everybody who downloads this podcast. If you haven't as yet, jump on Apple Podcasts and, and give us a five-star rating. That would be great. And as I mentioned last week, we've now got a, a Facebook page up and going. So if I haven't asked you to to like that as yet, jump on and search for Powering the Key on Facebook and, and follow that there. And a shout-out to our number one fan, Chris, my cousin Chris, who put together a little collage of, our, of myself and you, Ben. Did you see that?
1: I did see that. Gave it a, a like on Facebook. And, yeah, um, I think we can get that Facebook page um, up and running a bit bit more and, and getting um sharing that out, um, I'm sure uh, the continued uh, listenership will continue to grow. And just a shout-out to another one of your mates, Big Toffer Allen, who's um, hung up his boots at the Keysborough Golf Club where he's the superintendent there, looking after the splendid grass um, around that course. He's now heading to the Yarra Yarra Golf Club. Uh, so bigger and
0: better things for the for the Toth. So shout out to him as well. He's a man in he's a man in demand, toff Not only with the females, which he's very very popular with, but uh, also obviously the, the greens as well. He does a fine job there. So as I said, thank you for listening to the podcast, and we'll talk to you all next week. Thank you.